This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello and welcome back to When Romance, where we get to talk about all of the romance things, sometimes things we don't want to talk about, but that's another story for later. I am (laughs) Jess. And I am Trisha. Happy New Year, Jess. Happy New Year. This is uh, the first recording of 2023. We are recording on Thursday, January 5th. And I am so excited to hear your voice, and I hope that those of you who had a little time away from us are happy to have us back. (laughs) (laughs) We can only assume, otherwise you probably would have stopped listening by now. But thank you for continuing. We're happy to start 2023 with you. I will tell you, Jess, I have like a lot of eggs in this 2023 basket. I was like very ready to switch Mm -hmm. over. And we'll talk a little bit, I, you know, we talked a little bit about what we wanted to do during this episode. And I feel like this one's a little bit of a transition episode. Mm-hmm. We've got um, a couple of quick sort of look backs into 2022. We're looking forward into 2023. Then there are a handful of things that we would have liked to have left in 2022, but that have followed us into 2023. So Alas. we'll get into those. Yeah. But uh, the good news is we get to talk about a lot of fun books. Yes. Yes, we do. Starting, as we always do, with uh, what, Jessica Pride, are you reading? Well, I have to get through all of my library books because, as usual, all of them came at once. So I am working on Must Love Cowboys by Carly Bloom. And this one is one that has come up on my radar multiple times. And I think I even borrowed it from the library at some point before, but it was mass market paperback and my hands were not happy with it. So I took it back unread and now I have it as an ebook and my eyes and hands are much happier, especially because it's a delightful sure. little book. The main characters are a librarian who is a little staid, a little, a little stodgy, but not really. She's just taciturn and quiet and stern. Um, and the cowboy who comes to her to ask for help with reading because he has dyslexia and never really got on the reading ball. He has a twin brother who basically graduated from high school for him and for himself. So it involves a lot of little like dates. Of course, it's a small town. So since he doesn't want anybody to know that he can't read, a lot of people think that they are dating and he just goes with it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, sure. Fake dating, whether it is self-inflicted or otherwise, you know, thrust upon one. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a cute little book. I, I have no clue how far I am in it because the version that you get as an ebook um, maybe that you get as a print book, actually has a complete bonus novel in it, uh, which oh. is 
the first book in the series. This is the third book. So it could say 12% and I could be 25. I could be 40. I have no idea. Part of the fun. It's part, part of the, the fun. fun. <laughs> I have to tell you, I laughed when I saw that that was your um, title because I have not read that book. But the, the title suggests that it is a cowboy sort of Western ranch romance. And I don't think of you and me as necessarily being cowboy Western ranch romance people, although I think I am maybe a little bit more than you. <laughs> and as it turns out, I am also reading a ranch romance. This one is called A Second Chance at Rancho Lindo by Sabrina Sol. And it is full of like all of the cowboy tropes. It is a ranch that is run by a family. There's like a patriarch and his wife and his mother, who is like the abuela, who is, you know, like sort of meddling and but like the most lovable character. He, the um, One of the main characters has recently been discharged from the military after, as a result of an, an injury and kind of anticipated that his military career would go on forever. Didn't really anticipate being back on the ranch. Doesn't really know if that's where he wants to be. But he has four brothers who oh, all also work on the ranch. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess that this is the first book in a series. Mm-hmm. And he, there's a little bit of like a, it's called Second Chance at Rancho Lindo, which makes sense because, you know, I think it is a second chance romance, mm-hmm. as it turns out. He's runs into what the horticulturist, the person who does the farming and the farmer's market and stuff. It turns out it's a... Not childhood love interest. Maybe there was a little more interest on her side than his. Mm. There might have been some missteps, some broken hearts. But again, it's. I will say um, one of the things that I really love about series is kind of the world building, but it can be really tricky to do in the first book because you can get so much into the weeds of like, well, this brother does this and this brother does this and blah, 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 blah. Mm. And I think that Sabrina Sol does a really good job in this book, at least so far, I'm about halfway through, of not going, giving you enough information about the rest of the family so that every person is distinct, but not going so far into it that you lose track of the main characters. So anyway, I, uh, I'm i delighted and tickled that we are both currently reading cowboy romances, and mine is called Second Chance at Rancho Lindo. Again, it's by Sabrina Sol. That is exciting because, yeah, I I don't read very many. You know, every once in a while, it's like a trope or a, a setup draws me to a book that might have cowboys in it, but I'm not, I don't seek them out. So it was, yes. it is very funny that we both ended up reading them at the same time. <laughs> We're starting out 2023 with cowboys. Yes. The year of the cowboy. It is. It is the year of the cowboy. But that's not our only fun news. uh, Well, the whole podcast is book related news. Some of it's fun, some of it's not. But (laughs) some of the fun book related news is as we promised at the end of 2022, we have brought back the Win in Romance book club, which wasn't gone for that long. (laughs) But because we skipped a quarter, it felt like it was gone for a really long time. Anyway, it's back. Would you like to let people know where we are starting? Yes. This quarter, we are going to be reading After Hours on Milago Street by Angelina M. Lopez. It's the first book in her most recent series. It's newish, newer. It came out last year because it is now 2023. And it is definitely going to have some family stuff. From what I can tell, there is definitely a contentious relationship between the two main characters, from what I can tell. And there's going to be food and drink of some sort. But I'm really looking forward to reading it with you and talking about it. 
I am too. And we discussed earlier, we probably should have actually decided when we were going to talk about it. I am deciding right here and now. Uh, I'm going to be more impulsive, um, but obviously <laughs> tell me if I should pull back. Uh, in 2023, <laughs> I say I think we're going to talk about it on our March 6th episode that we are recording on March 2nd. So it gives people two full months to track down this lovely book and read it and uh, send us anything you're thinking by March 2nd, and we will record it for March 6th, unless Jess tells us otherwise, and then we'll do whatever she says. <laughs> nope, that is perfect. Done and done. Boom. Again, starting out strong. Let's take a quick break, and uh, then we will come back with some news. (laughs) We'll leave it there. Today's episode is brought to you by Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Skye. Bone familiar Rosie spends most of her days in the Bone Forest, hiding her powers to avoid conscription by the Witch King's army. But when she saves the life of Princess Shaw, she's offered the chance to attend the prestigious school Witch Hall. And at Witch Hall, Rosie finds herself embroiled in political games she doesn't understand. Shaw wants Rosie as a partner to help lead the coming war. Meanwhile, all Rosie wants is to stay out of trouble. But she can't really deny her attraction to Shaw. So the question is... Will Rosie give in to her destiny, or will the Bone Forest call her home once and for all? Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Skye is for all the magic school lovers. This immersive magic school is full of witches and familiars. It's also a queer normative fantasy world with a sapphic slow burn romance like we love. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Daughter of the Bone Forest by Jasmine Skye for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by William Morrow. I'll be dead in three months. Come tell my story. Imagine someone told you that. That's what Sebastian Trapp, a reclusive mystery novelist, told to his longtime correspondent Nikki Hunter, an expert in detective fiction. So with only a few months left to live, Trapp invites Nikki to his spectacular San Francisco mansion to help draft his life story, living alongside his beautiful second wife Diana, his wayward nephew Freddie, and his protective daughter Madeline. But soon, Nikki finds herself caught in an irresistible case of real-life detective fever. Make sure to pick up End of Story by New York Times bestselling author A.J. Finn for a book that gives Knives Out, that gives White Lotus. You'll like this if you like books by Lucy Foley, Nita Prose, and others. So make sure to pick it up, check it out, and thanks again to William Morrow for sponsoring this episode. All right. As unfortunate as it might be, the news in romance did not stop while we were away. No. We're not going to go too, too far into any of these stories, but we did want to give people kind of a quick rundown. Um, We're starting with the worst one. So if you can power through that, they're not, none of them are great, but this one's the worst, (laughs) including the fact that it actually does. I will uh, offer a, a content warning for suicide. If that is triggering for you, then just skip ahead a few minutes. Like I said, I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time on any of these, but We know some of you might have seen headlines, and um, so we wanted to make sure that we are addressing them. So we're going to start with a story um, of an author, Susan Meachin, who had allegedly died by suicide uh, about a year and a half ago in September of 2020. There was a notice posted on a Facebook group that she, I believe, was the administrator of, or at least kind of a leader of. The note was supposedly written by her daughter and indicated that she had died by suicide. 
The note also mentioned bullying and harassment being contributing factors, bullying and harassment sort of from that Facebook community being contributing factors. It was a unfortunate situation, obviously. And then uh, much to everyone's surprise, uh, more than two years later, earlier this month, just within the last few days, I think, um, maybe three or four days ago, as we're recording this, uh, Meechan came back online. And it turned out that she did not die. She is still living. It sounds like, you know, she was not in a good mental health space at that time. Her family was not in a good place. They kind of made this decision for her, per her account. And she is back, seemingly ready to potentially rebuild her career, start writing again. And I think people have some thoughts and people have a lot of questions. And I would say that that is fair. Mm -hmm. So there are elements to this whole story that people have concerns about beyond the fact that this person, whether a family member actually said that she died and she didn't and is now back being truthful about any of this. And it's the fact that in the first message that indicates that she died, whoever posted it, whether it was her daughter or whether it was her or a friend or whoever, said that she had written her last book as a gift to her daughter, I think, for her wedding. And that led to several sales of that book. So the fact that there is almost a direct connection between the announcement of her death by suicide that did not happen and financial gain from the book that was discussed in the announcement, there are some people who feel like bridges were burned in that situation. Whether or not she had any connection to it, especially since there was such a long amount of time before she came back online as herself. There are also discussions about whether she herself created an alternate account with a different name and has been active in that same group. I don't know any of the details of that beyond what I have seen online, and we can get very far into he said, he said, she said territory with that kind of thing with, you know, conjecture and things that aren't proven fact. So um, I don't want to dig too far into that. But there, like Trisha said, there have been a lot of concerns about this beyond the initial disconcerting element of someone with mental health issues having someone in their family announced they had died by suicide and coming back a year and a half later said, actually, I'm not dead. So let the fun begin. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, you know, like it's Again, I am in no way a psychologist, even for people I know, let alone people I do not. Uh, but I will say it does seem like there is at least a good possibility that there is some mental health stuff going on here. I don't think anybody wants to diminish that. But the way I think you described it, Jess, is there are people who feel like advantage may have been taken in a couple of different ways. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of blame that went around because the initial post connected this supposed death to bullying. I think it is fair to say that it's reasonable for people to have some questions. You know, it's just kind of like a garbage situation in general. It also, Mm -hmm. you know, I I don't know what it does. 
to discussion of suicide and mental health. Like the whole thing is just kind of gross and rough. And, you know, I think that's part of the reason we didn't want to get too far into it or talk too much more about it. But uh, unless you've got anything else you want to add, I think I will make sure that I include um, information about the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which in the U.S. you can actually just dial 988. Well, we'll include some of that information just for any of you who might need it for yourselves or as resources. And, you know, I think this is hopefully a story that will just kind of fade away. Yes. Yeah. Wishing the sort of best and healthiest for everyone and also the fading away. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, like I said, that's the most bummery story, but it's not our only kind of a bummer story. Do you want to talk a little bit about the next one, Jess? Absolutely. So, uh, if you are a regular consumer of USA Today, you might have noticed that for the past several weeks, there has been a piece of it missing. And this is something that started... I think right around the time we last recorded. So the person, because there was one single staff member at USA Today who was compiling the bestseller list was Lego from USA Today. And that list is no longer being produced. I haven't seen anything about them bringing it back in the future, but that doesn't mean that they're not talks in the building to do that. But as of now, we are down one bestseller list. And it is a big one, particularly for romance authors, both in the traditional and independent sphere, because unlike some other big name newspaper bestseller lists that that um, affect sales and blurbs and things on people's books, um, this one actually acknowledged romance authors and included them in the list, whether they were number five, number 55, or number 105. So the fact that this list is no longer being produced means that it's possible that romance authors across the board will see fewer of their names on bestseller lists because this was the big one that actually considered romance and didn't weigh against it when con- compiling the list the way that like the New York Times does. Um, because if you didn't know, the New York Times actually is not about the top 10 books sold in those categories every month or week or whatever it is. They actually produce that list with their own opinions as well. Yeah. And that's, I think, a thing that if you're not really deep in the book world, you don't necessarily know. I think they would say that it's not nefarious, that it's just sort of nuance about independent bookstores versus Amazon versus ebook versus hard copy, like, fine, whatever. But Mm -hmm. if you are not in the weeds of this, you would just assume the number one best-selling book on any bestseller list would be the book that sold the most copies in all formats. And that is not Mm -hmm. necessarily the case. I will uh, include a link to an article from Publishers Weekly by Emildera Adolphus talking a little bit about this. I think the conversation actually kind of started on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Mary Caden, who is the person who had been compiling the list, who got laid off, tweeted about it. And that got picked up, I think, 
and it could just be, you know, selection bias. But what I saw was by romance authors in particular, who has just pointed out, had a particular stake in this list, both because of its willingness to include things like independent authors and ebooks and um, some of the stuff that other traditional lists did not always pay attention to or didn't pay any attention to until they were sort of forced to. Mm. And once that conversation started going, it started getting written about and and questions started getting asked a, li- a, bit, a little bit more, I think, robustly. And um, like you said, Jess, I, hopefully this is just a pause. This, this article from Publishers Weekly says it is a pause, mm. but who knows how long that will go. And, you know, it could have really an outsized impact on romance authors because whether or not you think people should read based on bestseller lists or whether or not you think that's where exposure should come from or whether or not you think having bestseller on a book cover should matter. The reality is that for a lot of authors, it does. Mm -hmm. And so if they don't have this list to point to, even though they would have qualified for it, it actually is going to make a difference for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a bummer. (laughs) That's a Uh, bummer. But (laughs) in, in a bonus, we actually have one more kind of a bummer news story. The HarperCollins union that we have talked about before continues to be on strike. Uh, It's been, I think we're knocking on two months now, maybe even a little bit longer. And you made a note, Jess, and and referenced the fact that this impacts reviews of Avon and William Morrow differently than like Harlequin or Karina. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because actually our book, our new book club book is, I believe, a Karina book. So it might help for people to kind of understand a little bit of that distinction. Absolutely. So the HarperCollins union strike is being led by the union and members of the union are mid-level staff, uh, editors, publicists, marketing people for HarperCollins and its various imprints. So Avon is one of HarperCollins's direct child imprints. And William Morrow is romance adjacent. There are some romance writers who write for William Morrow, and there are some books that come through William Morrow that are romance-like. Uh, but for the most part, our work is being, our work is being affected by Avon being one imprint, child imprints of HarperCollins. Okay, so Harlequin, um, if you're unaware, was purchased by HarperCollins a few years ago, several years ago. I, I don't remember how long ago it was now. But since they're sort of sideways connected to HarperCollins as opposed to one of their imprints, they are not affected in the same way. And it's been brought to some of our attentions as a reminder that staff at Harlequin and its imprints actually are not allowed to be a part of the HarperCollins union, which is another thing all in of itself that we we can um, be a little baffled by. But because of that, we are actually okay to support Harlequin and its imprint Karina while the HarperCollins union strike is still continuing. And, you know, the the strike is about the staff at HarperCollins getting livable wages and all of that. And we are have not been asked to boycott, but we have been asked to sort of limit our promotion and reviews of HarperCollins titles 
which, as I mentioned, includes Avon and William Morrow. But that does not include Harlequin and its imprints. So that's <laughs> that's what's going on now. There was a reminder uh, just a couple days ago about the fact that not promoting Harlequin and Karina and all of the things connected to Harlequin, HQ, and Canary Press, etc., etc., was negatively affecting them without offering any assistance to the HarperCollins Union. And it's also hard, right? Like, we've talked about this before, that an author who loses sales because, you know, reviewers or bloggers or podcasters or whoever are talking about their books is going to have an outsized impact on that author more than it is on HarperCollins. I mean, I understand that is what organized labor is about, right? Which is why we are trying to be very cognizant of what we are talking about and what we are promoting and what we're not. And it's Mm -hmm. just very discouraging that HarperCollins doesn't seem to be willing to meet with and talk with their workers. You know, I will say it is shocking to me, having talked to friends and family members a little bit over the holidays, people don't know that this is happening. It, It is, to me, it should be a much bigger news story. But unless you are really tied into the book world there's a good chance you don't know what's happening. So I I would say one of the best things that anyone who is interested in sort of supporting this workforce could do is just talk to people that you know about the fact that it's happening. Share the posts from this union. You know, do whatever you can do to just get the word out a little bit. Because as I said, it, it was very surprising to me to see. I, I guess I shouldn't say it was surprising because I had noticed that there wasn't a lot of press coverage. But even people who mm-hmm. are fairly well keyed in, I think, to a lot of the book world just really had no idea. Yeah. And even if they were made aware of it early on, like, it's definitely fallen out of the news cycle. So I haven't seen anything about it on mainstream news. Not that I really watch mainstream, um, because, you know, I get most of my news on Twitter. But... Even the fact that I remember when we hit day 40 and it was kind of like, it's still happening. And like, even people, like you said, people who have been aware, like maintaining that awareness and spreading that awareness beyond social media, beyond book world is something that because there there are so many people who are being affected by this, who don't even know that they're being affected by this as readers, as consumers. I think that's absolutely right. Okay, we've gotten through all the bad news. <laughs> and we're gonna now talk a lot about books. I We are probably just due for an ad break. But I feel like before we do that, we, we've got to at least I need to at least hear about some of your favorite books of 2022. We didn't get a chance to do this at the end of last year, because all of you are so wonderful and sent us so many recommendation requests. But we did want to have a little bit of a chance to at least shout out some of what we loved. And like I said, before we pause again, we can't pause on on a low note. So so tell me, Jess, at least give me at least one of the books that you loved last year. All right, I will start with the book that probably ended up being my favorite of the year. And that was You Made a Fool of Death with Your Beauty by Akweke and Macy. It was their first romance and now they have like a whole contract for the next like few years for more I think Yay. and it's it's so exciting because they just they make perfect sentences and build messy people and this was one that I knew I could read because they called it a romance and it was a romance 
I know that I've said that I wouldn't call it a capital R romance because Faye, the main character, doesn't meet her final love interests until a good ways into the book. But after some long consideration, I'm giving that a pass because it was just that amazing. Um, And I have come to acknowledge that my preference in books includes messy people of which there are plenty in this book and even though the fae the main character is younger than me she still felt like somebody that i could connect to emotionally who i could feel for as she was going through her own troubles she was living through some grief and trying to get out of it and it was it was a lot but it was so it hurt so good i guess is is the way to refer to everything that happens in that book honestly but yeah you made a fool of death with your beauty by akweke mezi was definitely one of my favorites of the year hooray hooray i will do it i my two are fairly quick cuz i think i've talked about both of them before so why don't I do one and then we'll take a quick break and I'll do my second and then you can jump in with your with your others. How does that sound? That sounds great. Excellent. So when we were talking about, you know, we we started talking, I guess it was actually at the end of 2020 about what we were going to talk about. It felt like we had left 2020 behind or 2020. Oh, my God. I don't know. Trisha, <laughs> I am doing my best. We're in 2022. I, it just feels like the last three years have just been like the perfect storm of disaster, which is why Mm -hmm. I'm like so desperate to get into 2023. So what I meant to say was that it felt like we started in 2022 talking about this episode. And as mentioned, I was very ready to move on. But I did want to shout out there are a couple of books that I just I know I've talked about on this podcast, but I just could not stop thinking about. Sometimes I go back through my lists of what I read. And I actually did do that last week to see if there was something that I want. And there were a lot of books that I liked a lot, but there are only two that I just couldn't stop thinking about and really, really loved. And the first is Tanked by Mia Hopkins. It's the third book in the Eastside Brewery series. And again, I know I've talked about this book. You may have as well, Jess. I I don't even remember anymore. People just love this book. So it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's out there in the ether. And I couldn't get over how this book did not shy away from the heaviness and the grief of the last few years. Mm -hmm. It is at this point, and this may just be my own, again, selection bias, but it's the only romance that I've read that just tackles COVID head on, both in the way that it impacts your day-to-day life, but also the way that there was a lot of loss and a lot of people lost people they loved. A lot of people lost experiences and relationships that they loved. And it's, the, the the idea that Mia Hopkins could take all of that mm-hmm. and make it the background of a really lovely story about two people falling in love is, is I think, really incredible. I think mm-hmm. there is a lot of, you know, we've talked about this before. I think even in relation to this series, there are so many books where, like, it's fine because somebody's a millionaire. Like maybe somebody is dealing with, you know, low income poverty, you know, whatever, but the other person's a millionaire. So it just works out. Mm -hmm. Or maybe somebody's secretly a Duke, or maybe somebody's secretly a Hollywood actor or whatever. This is a book where, you know, the bar or the brewery that, you know, this family owns is, is about to go under. Like Mm -hmm. they legitimately are dealing with 
very serious financial issues. They're dealing with all of the COVID aftermath. And the idea that, again, that that Mia Hopkins would just take that head on and be willing to still write a happily ever after story in that context and do it so well. This is, I think, a book that's probably going to, I've loved this whole series, but I think I'm most impressed by the way that this book was written. So again, that's Tanked by Mia Hopkins. I just, yeah, this one just really stuck with me. (laughs) And I'll tell you what the other one is in just a minute. Today's episode is brought to you by A Tempest of Tea by Hafsa Faisal. So Arthur Casimir is a criminal mastermind and collector of secrets. Her prestigious tea room transforms into an illegal bloodhouse by night because obviously it does. It caters to the vampires feared by society. But when her establishment is threatened, she has to make a deal with an alluring adversary. So Arthi hatches a plan to infiltrate the sinister, glittering vampire society known as the Ethereum. But not everyone in her ragtag crew is on her side. And as the truth behind the heist unfolds, Arthi finds herself in the midst of a conspiracy that will threaten the world as she knows it. So this is the highly anticipated next project from the author of We Hunt the Flame. It's got a fierce female lead. The story is fun and fast paced while also exploring significant themes like colonialism, prejudice, betrayal, and self-acceptance. I mean, it's got vampires and heists. Make sure to check it out, get into it, and thanks again to A Tempest of Tea by Hafsa Faisal for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by National Geographic Books. The Cave is the incredible memoir of Imani Balur, a young doctor and activist who ran an underground hospital in Damascus, humanizing the enduring crisis in Syria. The only woman to have ever run a wartime hospital in Syria, she saved many from the atrocities of war while having to face the patriarchal conservatism around her. Amani Balur is a game changer. Listen, she will be remembered as one of history's greatest. She's a passionately committed humanitarian, and she is determined to help others escape the horrors that she survived. Make sure to pick up the memoir, The Cave by Amani Balur and Rania Abuzaid for a memoir that expands on the 2019 Oscar nominated film by the same name, which documents her experience running the hospital, shielding children from horrific sarin attack, losing colleagues, trying to employ more women in the hospital, and eventually leaving and becoming a refugee. So make sure to read about this amazing woman. And thanks again to National Geographic Books for sponsoring this episode. So before I could get back to Jess, I will say, I know, again, I've talked about this book a lot, but the other one that I just could not stop thinking about this year was Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake. And I don't know why this one, it just it just felt like it was a really well-constructed story. There are some tropes in it that I'm into. I always, you know, a single parent is always fun. Sort of second, this one's kind of second chancy, kind of rivals to lovers. It essentially involves um, Delilah Green, you know, the titular Delilah Green, having to come back to her hometown, where she doesn't really want to be, but she's coming for her stepsister is getting married. They are not close. That is actually sort of the rivals to quote unquote lovers, the the rivals to less rivals (laughs) element of the story. But she ends up Delilah ends up hitting it off with one of um, Astrid's Astrid's close friends, who is the single parent in the story. Claire, who is that other main character, is figuring out sort of how to live in a world that she didn't anticipate. She didn't expect to be, you know, a divorced parent of an 11-year-old 
it's there's I think one of the things that really appeals to me about this book is that there are a lot of really interesting, complicated relationship dynamics. The author never loses sight of the main characters and what is going on there. But there's also some really interesting stuff, I think, between Delilah and Astrid. I think between Claire and her ex and Astrid and her terrible fiance. That guy is the worst. (laughs) And so it is not a surprise that the next book in the series is about Astrid. Because, spoiler alert, she does not marry the terrible guy. But I think it was just, it was such a good combination of things. It was fun and it was funny and it was... Um, a lot of tropes, but there was also a lot of heart to it. So if you have not read Delilah Green Doesn't Care by Ashley Herring Blake, I highly recommend it. The second book in the series, I actually have and have not gotten to yet somehow. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> you guys know it's TBR. That's how it goes. But I think the third actually comes out this year, which probably should have been one of my most anticipated of the year. And it probably is. But because I'm talking about this one, I won't talk about that one. <laughs> how about you? What else you got, Jess? The book that I think I have recommended to most people, weirdly, is Honey and Spice by Bolu Babalola. Not weirdly because it's not a book that I should be recommending, but because the characters are so young. Um, I, this is yet another book that has like probably top of Gen Z age people instead of young millennials, but. I don't know if I can come to terms with that, but I just I know. It's a campus romance. So like I think that I think it's that oh, age. Sure. Um, but I listened to this book on audio and it's just so brilliantly performed that the book itself like the book itself is magic, but that that performance just gives like an extra gear to it. And this is this is another one I I know I've talked about it before, so I won't go too far into it. That has all great things, rivals to lovers, academic rivals. And, uh, you know, someone has been called out. Someone needs to get out of a situation and all of a sudden they're fake dating. And then you have the element of the fact that it's a campus novel. So there's all these interesting side characters that I'm really interested in uh, that bring a great uh, element to the story itself. Each of them has issues with uh, their relationship with their families. So that comes into it. There's a lot of sharing of culture and food and friendships and all of that stuff. So there's just, there's something about a campus novel because you get the campus community that we, we haven't, like, we haven't been able to reproduce until you get to like, independent senior living like that's the next time you get mm-hmm. to, you get like college life um is when when you get to yeah that. we should talk about that that's a really interesting point i never thought about that so yeah it's just it's just a great book especially if you like audiobooks um so that was honey and spice by bolu babalola and the last one that I'm going to talk about, I'm not going to talk about very long, because one thing about it is the fact that you cannot read it as a standalone. And that is Shipwrecked by Olivia Dade. It's the third book in her Spoiler Alert series. So if you've read Spoiler Alert in all the fields, go for Shipwrecked. It's going to, it's going to like complete that circle perfectly. But things are happening in the first third of the book that reference the first two books that you, I guess you could make it through if you haven't read the first two, but will bring a lot more to the story 
with the first two. And if you haven't read them, they're great anyway. All the Feels is probably my favorite. But this one was so key in part because it's her first book with two fat leads. Like both the male and female main character are fat and they're both actors and they are co-stars trapped together on an island where they're filming their story arc, which is just the two of them. So it's them, the villagers on this remote island and their crew. And those are the only people that they come in contact with. Oh, interesting. So sort of small town in a way. It's sort of small town in a way. But their question of why can't we be together is the fact that they have very different points of view on their work and what they're willing to do for their work and how much they don't want their work experience together to be damaged by a romantic relationship. So they have to get over the work before they can pursue a relationship, even though they have all of these big feelings for each other. Ah, big feelings. That's the best. Big feelings. It's so great. Well, I am excited. I don't... I know we're about to transition into some of the books we're excited about this coming year. Any kind of observations for you, Jess, about your favorites from from last year or just in general your reading from last year? My reading from last year was a lot of big feelings, actually. Like, I, I don't think there are some things that I was interested in picking up that I just didn't because they didn't give me that sort of like epic love story feeling, even if they sounded like really interesting stories. Mm -hmm. Um, These three in particular have all of these like big emotions and big setbacks and big conclusions that really like made made all the difference. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think for me, not that you probably asked for care, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, I think I did a lot of rereading this year. I think I realized that mm-hmm. probably about half, no, that's not true, like a third to a half of the books that I read this year were rereads. And I think it was because it was, for me personally, a, a year of a lot of change and transition and sort of turmoil and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to a lot of what I had read before. And so I'm really looking forward in this coming year to getting back into kind of, I think enough of my sort of upheaval and adventure was happening in real life that I didn't need it in <laughs> fiction last year. I'm, I'm looking forward more to seeking it in fiction this year, maybe a little more stability in real life, a little more chaos in fiction. Well, and I will say, I don't know if this is your experience for this coming year. One of the things that I realized when we were talking and thinking about books that we're excited about for this year is that a lot of the authors that I love and think about and watch for their next releases either don't have anything currently slated for this year, or they're sort of dipping a toe into the YA waters, as mm-hmm. uh, Talia Hibbert just had a new book out this week that is is YA, uh, which is wonderful. It's just not a genre that I tend to read a lot of. Mm-hmm. And so with one big, giant, huge exception that I'll get to later, I think <laughs> this might be a year for me that I'm I'm really looking forward to learning and exploring some new authors. Mm-hmm. And one of those uh, that I'm excited about is a book called The House on Mulberry Street that I just came across within the last few days. It is 
a it's apparently it's a part of a series book three i'm hoping you can start a book three because i didn't maybe i'll just read the first two books first whatever it doesn't matter <laughs> the point is it's a small town book which i have always had a, a special place in my heart for a small town romance and it is also this is the thing that i've realized with just within the last month or two that i really like is a friends to lovers book i don't mm. love all the like sort of you know animosity that happens in Arrivals to Lovers or in Enemies to Lovers. We've talked about those, and I certainly have found some that I love, as we've discussed. But mm -hmm. this is a story about a woman who is trying to launch this arts festival. She needs a lot of help. She's planning on relying on her best friend, who is secretly in love with her. And it sounds like maybe they have a moment of passion. And, you know, we see what happens. And so that's The House on Mulberry Street by Jeannie Chin, it comes out in March, and I'm just very excited to sort of like drop into this small world of, you know, just people with like, your big problem is trying to get the town council on board with what you're trying to do <laughs> until, mm -hmm. you know, you have this kiss that is unexpected with this one-sided love. But is it one-sided? I certainly hope not, because this is a romance, so <laughs> fingers crossed it all works out. Um, but uh, yeah, for me, I think that's one of my themes of this year is that I'm going to end up, I've never read anything by Jeannie Chan. I actually was not aware of her as an author until I came across this title. So I'm excited to explore some new folks. Yeah. Yeah. And like next year, one of the things that's happening next year is I'm going to be reading more of the books that are surrounding me. Um, because I, while I loved all three of the books that I talked about as favorites, Part of that might be because there are so many books that I didn't get to last year. Yeah. And that's not to to diminish the amazing love that I have for all three of these books. It would have just been harder for me to pick my favorites if I had actually managed to read any of the books that I had been intending to read. Sure, yeah. So I have... My, like, year-long goal is to read more of the books that I missed the first time around last year. But there are also some really great books by authors who are familiar to me. And I am looking forward to some really great-looking debuts. Um, so I have to figure out how to balance all of that. Um, and I get to do it first this month uh, with Sorry Bro by Celine Voscuni. Which is just a strong name. It's just strong. Yes. Yes. And this is a book that just sounds so delightful. The um, main character is an Armenian-American woman whose family is trying to, you know, get her to settle down with a nice Armenian boy um, by sending her on this sort of month-long experience with other Armenians and... Uh, one person that she sees a lot at these events that she really connects with that she enjoys spending time with is another woman. Um, so she has to figure out what those feelings are, how to, you know, live the life that her family expects of her, and the life that she wants to have. And it just it sounds like my kind of book. So that's sorry, bro. And if you see the like, look at the cover, it's gorgeous. Um, so I'm really looking forward to checking that one out. Hooray. Uh, that sounds amazing. And also that title is just top notch. Mm -hmm. All the way around. Mm -hmm. 
I will say another author that I am unfamiliar with. Frankly, I don't know if they have written other books, which I feel bad about, uh, is Christina Forrest. The book that she has coming out is, or I should say they, I'm not sure um, her pronouns, is The Neighbor Favor, which is, again, I don't know a ton about this book, but I know that it has a bit of that, like, you've got mail, spoiler alert sort of uh, element, because there is one of the main characters, Lily, is working really hard to she works in books. She's a bookish person. She's trying to become an editor of children's books, but she has no idea sort of how to get there. She feels very stuck where she is. And she has been corresponding with her favorite fantasy author. And it seems like this really lovely thing. Like I said, there's like sort of some spoiler alert vibes by um, Olivia Dade, who you mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And then he completely ghosts her and is gone. And she is kind of devastated by it. So, you know, she moves on, whatever. She's trying to find her date to her uh, sister's wedding. And it turns out that um, the perfect person to do that is her neighbor, who, as unbeknownst to her, is this author who has ghosted her, uh, mm -hmm. who has a pen name. So she doesn't know. It takes a while. But eventually he figures it out, I think, is my understanding that he has ghosted her. I mean... It wouldn't be a romance if he didn't have some very good misunderstood reasons for having done that. Mm -hmm. But I think those kinds of stories and specifically the way that someone can come back from them, right? Like I always think of that you've got mail. There's got to be like a solidly 20 or 30 minutes where Tom Hanks is sort of like slowly earning his way back into Meg Ryan's heart mm -hmm. before she realizes that he goes. So like it's that, it's that like slowly earning their way back part that I find very rewarding. So I'm hoping this has some of that. But again, mm. I'm very excited. Another author that is wildly unfamiliar to me that I'm very excited to learn more about is Christina Forrest and the book that is coming out in oh end of February, very end of February, the 28th, is The Neighbor Favor. And you mentioned that you don't go into the YA area very often. So Christina mm -hmm. Forrest has written one or two YA books, and this is her, their... Oh, yay. First adult book, so... Oh, that's so cool. Yep, I'm looking yeah. at it now. Yeah, there are a number of books here. Oh, hooray. So if this one goes great, I've got some backlist, is what you're telling me. Yep, yep. Perfect. So of the books that I am looking forward to that I am internally screaming about, one of them is Codename Charming by Lucy Aww. Parker, which um, at this moment is set to come out um, on August 15th. I hope it does. Uh, I wouldn't cry if they moved it up, but I would if they moved it back. <laughs> yeah. How often does the first happen versus the second? I know. I know. Um, and this is a companion book to Battle Royal, which uh, you might remember if you listened that long ago was one of my favorite books of the year it came out i don't remember if that was 2020 or before that but this one involves a bodyguard who has to fake date his charges personal assistant there is apparently an a thing where the personal assistant and the royal that he's he's guarding end up in a, like, 
tabloid photo that leads people to think that they're dating. So the palace is like, why don't you two pretend to date so that we get the smoke off of what people think is happening? And, you know, bodyguards, fake dating. It sounds like there might be some grumpy sunshine uh, happening. So those are all of things that I love. And I just really love Lucy Parker. And I'm glad that I have more of her stuff to read. Hopefully, even though this one is not a Rivals Lovers story, I will still enjoy it because I've realized that all of the Lucy Parker ones that I've liked have been Rivals Lovers. (laughs) I mean, sometimes, you know, we just have to come to terms with who we are. Yes, yes. And actually, in that vein, (laughs) the one uh, other author I will mention who will not be new to me (laughs) is Diana Biller, uh, who wrote The Widow of Rose House and The Brightest Star in Paris, which um, I probably mentioned. I would say at least once or twice here on the podcast. Uh, My hope is that the third book in that series of books comes out maybe late in in 2023. I don't know who's who's to say. But in the meantime, she has a standalone book, or at least the first in a series called Hotel of Secrets, which takes place in Vienna in, Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly when I would say like late 1800s, early 1900s. And it's like a sort of spy ball season you know there's assassins and whatnot i don't like i said i don't know a lot about this book i know enough about diana biller to know that i will enjoy it very much like i said i think there are spy elements to this and there is a very very beautiful ball gown on the cover of this book and between that and knowing how much i love diana biller frankly that's enough for me Mm -hmm. and i'm not going to say anything more about it because i have a feeling I might talk about it again. But for now, uh, I will say um, I am very excited to read whatever I can by Diana Biller. And that for this this season in late March is um, Hotel of Secrets. And I will throw out one more title very briefly. Um, and that is Diamond Ring by Katie Casey, uh, which is coming out in April. And I have consumed so many of their books in a short amount of time. And now I have to wait for this one to come out. It is the third book officially in the Unwritten Rules series. Unwritten Rules, I think I've talked about, uh, it has my heart, heart, heart. Um, mm-hmm. I read Fire Season like a week and a half ago. And now I can't wait to read Diamond Ring because... There are the main characters were referenced in Fire Season. I think they were watching a game on TV and talking about something that happened between the two characters years ago. And now in Diamond Ring, they're going to be brought back together on a team and sort of have to figure everything out. And then we get to know what happened, because obviously the person who was talking about it in the earlier book didn't say exactly what happened because they probably didn't know. But there seems to be some rivalry on the field, sleeping together off the field. Oh, hopefully off the field. (laughs) Kind of like, it sounds like if you really liked heated rivalry, you will like this book, which I hope is the case. But it's Katie Casey, and I just love everything they do. I never thought I would love a book that talks so much about baseball the way (laughs) that I have loved these 
Um, but I'm really excited about it. So that's Diamond Ring. I love a book that is sort of like an alternate story of the other book. Whatever. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a blast. Yeah. Well, I'm now very excited. We started with like a some bummer notes, but I feel like now I'm like just delighted to go and read. Yeah. Hooray for us. Hooray for everyone. Hooray for us. We get so many good books. Oh, there are so many good books. And that is, you know what? That is the right note to start 2023 on, being delighted by all the good books. Mm-hmm. Yes. And also being delighted by our wonderful audio editor, Jen Zink, who is just wonderful and delightful and does not change year to year because she is perfect. So how wonderful for us. Um, so many, many thanks to Jen. If you have thoughts, let us know. What did you love in 2022? Let us actually, I think we ended up getting a couple of emails that we didn't quite have time to get to today. So we will get to those next time. But if you have thoughts about what you're most excited about in 2023, let us know. You can always find us on email at oneinromanceatbookriot.com. As it turns out, Jess is having some technical difficulties, so I will tell you where to find her. You can find her at Jess's Reading on Twitter for as long as Twitter continues to be a thing. And you can find her on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading on Instagram. She's on TikTok too, but just listen to a back episode and get her TikTok address. I don't know it because I'm not on TikTok. You can find me on primarily Instagram at Trisha Haley Brown, occasionally dabbling into Twitter at Trisha Haley Brown as well. Please, please rate and review the podcast. It means uh, the world to us and it helps people find the show. We do take a look at those reviews. And I will, because again, Jess is, you know, sitting in the world of technical difficulties, I will step in for her and say we are delighted to spend the beginning of this year with you. We're looking forward to talking to you soon. And until we do, happy reading. Happy reading.